Let me get you to open the Bible to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. We're continuing our series on Sermon on the Mount. If you turn to page 811, you'll find this morning's reading. The ESV editors have called it the Lord's Prayer. And we'll be thinking about prayer as we read through this section down through verse 15. If you would please stand for God's Word. This is Jesus speaking to His disciples. Jesus said, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning asking that you would please send your gracious spirit upon us. The same spirit that moved Matthew to record these words. May that same spirit pry open our ears and hearts. And give us grace, Father, that we might hear your word, believe it, and obey in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. been thinking a lot about prayer uh, for several weeks now. Uh, we did a, might, you might remember, several weeks ago, uh, we were looking at Acts chapter 1, uh, one of those flyover sections that uh, we often miss, or I often miss anyway, Uh, Coming up to Pentecost Sunday, the great display of the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Well, at the very end of Acts chapter 1, there's an interesting description of a prayer meeting. And it was the apostles uh, and others who were gathered in the upper room. And it says they were praying with one accord. And they prayed together. They went on to select a replacement for Judas. And then in Acts chapter 2, there's this amazing display of God's power. Uh, Will said he'd been praying for revival. I've been praying with Will for revival. We get together every week, and every week we pray for revival, and uh, it is something very much on my mind uh, for my own life, uh, for the PCA, uh, and for Metrocrest, that God would revive us, that he would send his spirit powerfully upon us. Uh, Interestingly, uh, we just got back from General Assembly in Memphis, Tennessee, Paul Hartgrove and Larry Perry and I were representing Metrocrest. 
And it was the 50th anniversary celebration of the founding of the PCA. And it was a very, very uh, moving week uh, with other Presbyterians from all across the country, indeed from other places in the world who'd come to celebrate God's faithfulness, 50 years of God's faithfulness in the PCA. But we were reminded at the assembly that it all began with some praying Presbyterians back in the 70s, uh, sort of the culmination of, of years of struggling over theology and doctrine and, and relationships within the church and what direction the church would go and what to do in the midst of so many challenges at that time. And so a bunch of them were praying and they decided the time had come for them to launch a new Presbyterian church and that's when the PCA was founded. And at the very first uh, General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, December 4th, 1973, uh, 50 years ago, this was part of the sermon. The preacher was Jack Williams, and he said, Brethren, we must undergird this church with a great outpouring of prayer. We know that it is far easier to fight than it is to pray. Our battle, however, is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The preacher said, only fervent prayer will prevail. And then he said, and now we commend you, the convention, we commend you to this God and the word of his grace. We devoutly pray that the whole Catholic Church, meaning universal church, may be afresh baptized with the Holy Ghost, that we may be speedily stirred to give the Lord no rest until He establish and make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. I was really moved by this uh, short section from a, a sermon at the very first General Assembly reminding us what I am constantly relearning, which is how important prayer is in my life, in your life, in our life together. Prayer really is essential. Uh, John Calvin had a lot to say about prayer. Uh, and he, he said this, John Calvin wrote, words fail to explain how necessary prayer is. He held that it is by the benefit of prayer that we reach those riches which are laid up for us with the Heavenly Father. And that after we have been instructed by faith to recognize that whatever we need and whatever we lack is in God, it remains for us to seek in Him and in prayers to ask of Him what we have learned to be in Him. That's a, that's a very interesting, complex, subtle description of of all that is wrapped up in prayer. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's a relational dimension of our life. Uh, it's something I've experienced. I imagine you've had experiences as well of how God uses prayer. So this morning, we're going to think a little bit very specifically about prayer, something we all know we ought to do, we all know we want to do, but we often struggle with how to do it. And Jesus himself is here going to teach us. 
Uh, if you look in the bulletin, you'll find a little outline that shows you uh, basically where we're going to be going. And uh, you'll notice the first section says caution. Jesus actually begins and closes his teaching here on prayer with uh, some cautions. Uh, two cautions that before he teaches us about the Lord's Prayer and one caution after he teaches about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's, if you will, sort of couched in caution. Because let me tell you, it's, it's important that we think through prayer because I think we are, we're prone to get it wrong. And so Jesus begins his teaching on prayer by cautioning us what not to do. So if you look at verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5 of Matthew's Gospel, he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now Jesus has actually had, has had other things to say about the hypocrites. If you look up at the page to chapter 6, verse 1, what we looked at last Sunday, Jesus told us that we weren't to give like hypocrites. We weren't to make a big show of our stewardship. That doesn't mean that we can't uh, be generous in front of people. In fact, that's part of letting our light shine a display of not a display but a, a willingness to to be open about our, our our giving that's a good thing but it's so easy to slip from being a light to being a spotlight on myself and so jesus cautions us about our giving that we're we're not to give in a way that is intended to draw attention to ourselves and he says here basically the same thing about prayer we're not to pray like the hypocrites. We're not to give like them. And we're not to pray like them. He describes it well. He says, They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now let me tell you, those are sobering and humbling words for someone who stands up in the synagogue and, and prays a lot. Alright? Uh, Jesus is not saying you can't pray in public. In fact, Peter prays in public. Uh, at, at, at Pentecost and uh, in, in the meeting before Pentecost, uh, they prayed. They prayed publicly. And it, it's Jesus is not forbidding ever praying publicly. In fact, there seems to be an expectation with all the recorded prayers of Jesus himself and the recorded prayers of the apostles that praying in public is one of the ways we are like to the world. But the point Jesus is making is we're not to pray like the hypocrites do. We're not to pray in a way that is meant to draw attention to ourselves. And I can tell you, I have been in church gatherings where the person praying, it's pretty easy to see, is aiming to draw attention to himself. And I got to tell you, I, I always try to process that. I always try to remember Jesus's caution here, that we're not to pray in a way that is intended to draw attention to ourselves. And it can sometimes be so subtle. But Jesus begins by cautioning us not to do it that way. And brothers and sisters, that's one of the most loving things He can do is to tell us what not to do. Uh, we've got some babies across the hall over in the nursery. And one of the most loving things you can teach your children is what not to do. It may take a while before you can explain why they can't put their finger in that electric socket. But it's a really good idea to teach them very early on, long before they understand electricity, don't put your little finger in there. It'll fit. Don't teach. I mean, don't let your children do things that aren't good for them. 
And that's where Jesus begins his teaching on prayer with this this simple word not to pray like the, the hypocrites do in the synagogue, on the street, looking to draw attention to themselves. He says, if you do that, you've gotten all the rewards you're going to get. It's actually preferable for you to go into, the, into your closet, into your room by yourself, shut the door, and pray there in secret. And your Father in heaven who sees you will reward you. And uh, that's, that's a good word about prayer. He begins with that caution. He has another caution. He says, also when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. The Gentiles were the pagans. He says, don't heap up empty phrases as the pagans do. Um, prayer is not uniquely Christian. Um, there's a certain kind of prayer which is distinctly Christian. But standing up in a religious way to address God or the gods uh, that is a, a, a nearly universal human experience. It, it's something that transcends one single religion. In fact, I think it's an expression of our deep down created desire to connect to God that prayer is virtually universal. Even the people who don't pray know there's something they don't want to do. Even the atheist knows there's this thing of prayer and it is their reaction to the idea of God that shapes their idea of prayer. Well, Jesus says, don't pray like the pagans. He, he talks about heaping up empty phrases. Um, I can tell you, I've, I've been to a few church services uh, where prayer is sometimes reduced to just a few stock phrases uh, strung together, sometimes strung together beautifully. I've heard a lot of uh, beautiful prayers that were really just heaped up empty phrases, sadly. I've experienced that. And it's, it's, a, it's a kind of prayer which is sometimes easy to see. You, you can tell there's not really a, a connection with God that is being displayed. It's more just religion. Almost like magic words. Almost like a shaman chanting magic words there is actually a certain religious tradition in the world where christians are taught to pray that way it's just sort of repeating a phrase over and over and over and over and over again heaping up these words well, jesus says don't pray that way don't don't pray that way he says um do not be like them and this is why interestingly he says don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. There's, there's nothing to be gained from repeating stock phrases. There's nothing to be gained by repeating over and over again a, a, a certain set of words that we've been taught. No, the reason there's no point in that, and the reason we shouldn't do that, is because there's actually a person we're praying to. One of my kids came to me on Father's Day and all they said was, Happy Father's Day, 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 Happy Father's Day. I would begin to wonder if they were really wishing me Happy Father's Day or if there was something else going on. And it was like that way with this expression of pagan prayer that Matthew was aware of and Jesus was aware of. Jesus knew about pagan prayer. He says, we have a, a God we're actually talking to. 
And the way you talk to God, as he's going to go on to say, to show us, is, is a prayer that's, it's, it's a form of expression that's, that's more like a conversation. It's more like you're, you're talking to someone you actually know. And that relationship is the basis of the conversation. That's the kind of prayer Jesus wanted his disciples to understand and to have, to experience themselves and to teach others. Not like the pagans, not like the hypocrites. But in verse 9, Jesus says, unlike all that, oh wait, I should also mention down at verse six, uh, verse, 16, uh, verse 14. Uh, there's a third caution that Jesus gives us. And it has to do with unforgiveness. Uh, this, this is a very sobering section. Jesus uh, tells us in verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's an interesting thing to put into a short section on prayer. That when we go to pray to God as Jesus teaches us, uh, we want to be careful um, to um, come with a forgiving heart. And I believe this is something that takes time and intentionality and focus, a desire to, to learn to forgive others, uh, their trespasses against us. Uh, and, and actually, Jesus uses this very stark way of describing it. He says, if you forgive others, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, those are strong words. Have you ever wrestled with forgiveness and, and find yourself in a place of unforgiveness where it's hard to forgive someone? Maybe you've been so deeply wounded and hurt that you find it hard in any meaningful way to forgive them? Jesus is aware of that phenomenon and he cautions us. Now, I believe his caution is rooted in love. It's not shouting these words at us. It's not cursing us. But he's lovingly cautioning us. And I do believe it will take time. It's not something you snap your fingers and do. But it's something that the Holy Spirit will apply to our hearts over time and he will teach us and teach us and lead us and help us to forgive. And as we forgive others, more and more we become aware of how amazing it is God has forgiven us. And, and the others, the opposite is true as well. The more aware we become of how much God has forgiven us, I can tell you this, when I think of how much God has forgiven me, well, that puts forgiving others in a whole different light. And that's one of the cautions Jesus gives his disciples as he teaches them to pray. All right, verse 9. With these cautions in mind, Jesus says, pray then like this. And I, I want to draw your attention to the uh, first verse. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Those opening lines and, and really the very first words form the relational context for everything Jesus is going to teach us about prayer. In fact, it's this relationship 
which defines prayer. It's what sets it apart from the hypocritical play acting. It's what sets it apart from the, the pagans calling out with their repeated phrases, calling out to this impersonal God in heaven. They don't know if He's real. They don't know if He can hear them. They don't know if they care for them that day. No, there's a relational context to everything Jesus has to say about prayer. And it's summed up in a couple of words. Our Father. Our Father. That is the relational context for everything Jesus teaches us about prayer. Actually, uh, in Greek, it's Father Our. The very first word Jesus teaches us about prayer is Father. Father. Now, Jesus is teaching His disciples to pray as He Himself prayed. If you go through the prayers of Jesus, I think all the prayers of Jesus except for one, uh, He addresses God as Father. That's the way Jesus customarily talked to God. That's the way he thought of, of God, the God to whom he prayed, the God of Israel. He thought of that God as Father, and that got him into trouble, didn't it? There were religious authorities who didn't like that. It seemed, what do you mean God is your Father? But that's the way Jesus himself prayed, and so he says, pray like this. Our Father. It's interesting he uses the word our. It underscores the importance of our praying together. So it's a, an hour between us, your father, my father, our father. But it's also, and, and maybe even more importantly, it's our father with Jesus. The reason he's our father is because he's Jesus' father. And as Jesus' followers, he's now our father. So our relationship, this this intimate relationship that's described in this word Father, that is ours because of Jesus. It's, it's Father's Day weekend. And Will's already pray, prayed beautifully, uh, thanking God for fathers and also acknowledging the imperfection of fathers. Uh, I had a very imperfect experience of fatherhood growing up. I've, I've talked about that before. I did not have a father who was around. I did not have a very good father. Uh, I don't know what his intentions were, but I did not experience the love of a father. And I got to tell you, uh, when I look around my family and I see my son and my son-in-law who are such wonderful fathers, it makes me very, very grateful and when I look back on my own life, Les and I have five children, and I didn't have a role model really of fatherhood. And just to look and to see the privilege of these little lives that God has entrusted to me and Leslie, as a, and as a father, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by thinking how incredible a privilege it is. And I look around this room and I see a lot of dads. You know both the joy. And the sense of, man, I wish I could have done that better. I experienced it that way a lot. Well, God is the perfect Father. He never gets it wrong. He never has a bad day. He never forgets. He never lets us down. Uh, the God we see in and through Jesus is the perfectly faithful Father that all human fatherhood is a pale reflection of.
He's the perfect Father. And Jesus teaches us and His disciples that the way we are to pray begins and is grounded in that. When you and I pray, we are not calling out to an impersonal force hovering in space. We're not calling out like the Greeks did to to gods who were fickle and angry and you had to try to figure out whether this was a good day or a bad day for that God and maybe I'll play this God off that God. No, the God that we worship, the God that we see in Christ is the God of perfect faithfulness and perfect love. And everything we see in Jesus is a reflection of His Father. So, when we look at Gentle and Lowly, I listened to Gentle and Lowly on the way back from Memphis uh, on a book on tape. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. It's all about how gentle and lowly Jesus is. One whole chapter in the book is to say everything we see in Jesus is actually a reflection of His Father. His Father the King of glory, the the Creator of all things, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father is gentle and lowly and loves us and, and deigns to stoop down to us. There's a famous passage where God talks about, about taking Israel when he was little and helping Israel to learn to walk. And... Uh, That's the kind of father we have in the God of Jesus Christ. And that's the God to whom you and I have the privilege of praying. He's in heaven. He's um, his name is hallowed. So he's he's unique. But everything good wrapped up in the idea of father. Is expressive of God, everything good about it. Is, is expressive of what we know about God. And it's wonderful that Jesus here reveals to us that when we pray, first of all, we need to understand the basis of our prayer, the context of our prayer is a conversation with our Father. Now he goes on to talk about the content of our prayer. He actually doesn't have a great deal to say about it, but what he has to say is extremely significant. He says in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Really just a few lines to describe the content of prayer. And uh, Jesus is not saying that every prayer should be short. He's not saying that every prayer should be generalized. But he is saying a few things about our prayer. He is saying, for instance, looking at verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, When we pray, Jesus wants to know that we we turn to God to ask for what we need, for the the provision of the things we need. Um, I'd like to pray to God for my annual bread. Uh, I, I wish you'd give me 10 years in advance. I'd really think that was awesome. But actually what God does, as Jesus describes prayer, is he wants to engage with us daily. Daily. That's an anxious way to live. Um, To pray every single day for what I need and for what my family needs. Every day. 
to be that dependent on God that I, I call out to Him every single day. That's not the way I prefer to do it. I, I prefer a whole lot more human security than that. I like to have a big silo built in the backyard. Uh, God has graciously not allowed me to build a silo because I don't have anything to put in it. But, uh, but that would be my preference. But as Jesus teaches us to pray, He teaches us to cultivate and to express in our prayers this conscious dependence on God. A, a conscious dependence on God in our prayers. To call out to Him day by day by day for what we need. And to thank Him, by the way, day by day by day. If we learn to, to call out to Him day by day, what we'll actually learn to do is to be thankful day by day by day. Uh, Leslie and I tried to teach our children early on that when you sit down for a meal together, uh, we pray about it. Uh, we thank God for it. Uh, every time we share a meal together, we thank God for it. For that moment's provision. Whatever we have, whether it's a lot or a little, we thank God for it. I can tell you this, there's nothing more precious than to hear children who have been taught to be thankful. And let me tell you that, it may be a little prayer they've learned. It might be simple. Our grandkids have a little prayer they all pray. And nothing makes me happier. Nothing makes me and Leslie happier than to pray with them as they thank God for the food set before them. And uh, that's just a, an expression of that, that growing, deepening, maturing sense of dependence, which we sometimes don't like, but which Jesus knows is good for us. It's the way he himself lived. And that's the way he wants us to pray. To, to, to call out to God for our daily prayer, our daily needs, our daily bread. Uh, verses 12 and 13 touch on this idea of forgiveness. Um, that, that every prayer should include this idea of our being sinners. It's, it's really part of setting the context. God is the perfect heavenly father whose name is hallowed. And you and I are sinners. You know, there's not a prayer time that I pray to God when I come to Him as anything but a sinner. I am always a sinner when I come into His presence to pray. Now, Jesus didn't need to pray those words except that He wanted us to learn those words. Not only those words, but to learn that attitude, that attitude of conscious dependence and also constant, ongoing repentance. Constantly turning to the Lord. Constantly admitting to Him our neediness, our brokenness. It is a wonderful thing to incorporate into your prayers the idea of, of, of uh, acknowledging sin and asking for forgiveness. So, uh, as Jesus teaches His disciples, this short prayer, which is meant to help them and us to know how to pray, it includes this idea of forgiveness of sin. And let me tell you, that's a, that's a really important thing for a father to remember, a mom to remember, a grandfather to remember, a grandmother to remember, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, friends. All of us have sin that we need to acknowledge in our prayerfulness. But I don't want to skip over verse 10. Because Jesus actually begins the content section. He set the context. 
fatherhood. And the very first thing in verse 10 is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's think for a minute about the content of our prayers. We've talked about daily provision. We've talked about forgiveness of sin. Let's talk for a moment about verse 10. This idea of praying for God's kingdom to come. You know, um, when we put out a call for prayer requests, uh, we often get prayer requests. And it's, it's interesting how often the prayer requests we get are personal needs. I'm sick. Someone I love is sick. Let me tell you, when I get sick, I'm going to let you know it. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. That's part of being in a community. It means the world to us to be able to pray for one another. When the elders get together on our session meetings, a big chunk of our time is taken up in praying for you as you've asked us to pray. We pray for every topic we discuss, all these individual things that have personal implications. Let me tell you, we pray for those things. Uh, The prayer meeting that uh, Colton has organized. I'm so grateful to Colton for organizing the prayer meeting. It's a wonderful, growing expression of this idea of prayerfulness. Well, a big chunk of the time in our our weekly prayer meeting is taken up with praying for the, the felt needs of the congregation. Something's going on in your life and we want to pray together. We love it. We love it, love it, love it. But that's not where Jesus starts. In fact, in the model prayer he gives us, that's not the main focus. No, the main focus and where he begins is talking about the kingdom. And in in other words, he takes his deeply intimate relationship, the fatherhood of God, and on the basis of this deeply intimate connection with God that we have through Christ, he turns our attention beyond ourselves. We pray for our daily bread. We admit our personal sins. But he he pulls our attention beyond ourselves. Well, he pulls our attention to the world, the, the kingdom, to the whole of earth. And that's where he begins our prayer time. I, you know, in my personal prayers, I don't always get to that section. I'm so busy with my own personal needs and very real concerns. And I, I, I once again want to stress, it is absolutely right to take those to the Lord. We will always do that. But let me just challenge you to always include in your prayers, as we want to do here at Metrochrist in our, in our prayers, that we want to look together beyond ourselves. When Jesus says to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, he's got this global picture of his work and our work in him. See, when Jesus came into the world, uh, as he as he describes here in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus preached. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here he's telling us to pray into that. He, he's telling us to pray evangelistically. He's praying us, telling us to pray missionally. You know, I, I'd love for Metrocrest to grow in every aspect of prayer. I'd like Metrocrest more and more to, to be a church where if there is a need in your life, something that's come up perhaps unexpectedly, your first impulse is to let the church know. 
My brothers and sisters in Christ will pray for me. We want to cultivate that kind of community where we really lovingly pray for each other. And we try to do that on realm. We do that in the weekly prayer meeting. The officers do that. We want to be a church that prays intimately for one another. And if you've got a need, as your pastor, I personally want to pray with you. But I also want us to be a church that has this global understanding of prayer. I want to pray like Jack Williamson did at the first uh, PCA General Assembly. I want to pray that God would work powerfully in the PCA. That He would send the Holy Ghost upon us. That He would revive our batteries and, and recharge us for mission and ministry. And take our attention to include Carrollton and the Metrocrest communities and Texas and the United States and the whole world. So it's right that we pray for a drought in India. I mean, do you realize how, how crazy that is to think about? Here we are in Carrollton, Texas on a Sunday morning, and we just called out to God for people on the other side of the world who most of us will never ever know, but we've turned to God and asked for His blessing, His mercy upon them. And Will began by talking about praying for revival. Brothers and sisters, let's pray for revival. It's not for nothing that it Acts 1 records Pentecost began with a prayer meeting. We have such incredible power in God that has been entrusted to us. R.C. Sproul um, wrote a great deal about prayer and he talked about how amazing it is to be able to pray for global concerns global concerns, for national concerns and global concerns. One of, my, one of my favorite quotes from one of the great fathers of the Presbyterian Church was John Knox, the great fiery Scottish preacher in the mid-16th uh, century who uh, called out to the Lord in prayer. Remember what he prayed? He says, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland. And God answered that prayer over generations. As Knox did his little bit and contributed in his way, and then generations of preachers and evangelists and missionaries, and they took the, the faith of the Bible and they brought it here to America. And the people in the PCA today are the living, breathing, answered prayer of John Knox centuries ago, talking about one country, Scotland, which had Enormous spiritual revival. They need prayer for revival again, by the way. But God answered that prayer, and you and I are part of that answered prayer. Bigger than Knox could have imagined. Sending the gospel in power around the world. It's interesting. Uh, the Lord says that, that one of the things about the pagans, they heap up these words um, because they, they think that they will be heard for their many words. Jesus says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's, that's interesting. Why do we pray? If, if as Jesus says, God already knows what we need, and of course it only makes sense if you pause to think about it, the person you're praying to knows everything. He certainly knows about us. 
and our needs and the things we want to pray to him about. He knows those things. So, so why do we pray? I think part of it has to do with this context. God wants us to talk to him. He doesn't want us to chant phrases to him. He doesn't want us to use magic words. He doesn't want us to try to manipulate him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. That's what we see in Christ. And that's what you and I are invited to have. And, and so, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis said, I pray, uh, but it doesn't change God. It changes me. Prayer, in a very real way, uh, isn't meant to change God's mind, but it changes our minds. It helps us to mature and to grow. As we converse with our Father, as we communicate to Him, as He speaks to us through His Word and by His Spirit, we respond in prayer, communicating with our Father. And it's that context which forms the basis for all Christian prayer. So we've talked about the context, we've talked about the content. Let's just close. How then do we pray? Let's take it down. How does the rubber meet the road, so to speak? Well, I think one of the things that we learn from this passage is how central prayer is. Uh, Jesus himself prayed and he teaches his disciples to pray. pray. Verse 9 is a command. Pray like this. And he gives us an example. It's, it's not meant to be something we chant. You know, it's possible to chant the Lord's Prayer and to think that somehow just repeating these words over and over and over again will somehow do something magical. Well, I, I do not think there's anything wrong in repeating the Lord's Prayer. We do it every Sunday here at Metrocrest. But it's, it's to be a model to us. It's, it's to help us to remember the rest of the week to do like this, to pray like this. And when the leaders of our intercessions come up week by week and they pray, they're trying to model for all of us as they call out to the Lord what prayer looks like. And turns out, you can pray about anything. You can pray to God about anything. You can talk to Him about anything. He wants to hear about your needs, your wants, your fears, your anxieties. He wants to know about your failures, your sins, your brokenness, the things you realize you're not doing adequately. He wants to talk to you and to have that relationship with you and for you to talk to Him as you listen to His Word. That's what God wants for us. That's what Christ tells us prayer is. That's the contextual relationship that makes sense of it all. So we can pray about anything. And we, we pray, pray, pray. It, be, it is such a priority. God's house is meant to be a house of prayer. And that's my prayer for us. That we will grow more and more and more as those who pray, as Jesus taught us to pray.